It's the return of Backdoor Cover. Last Dance Recap. Let's go. Hit it, man. Oh, yeah. Day 964 in quarantine, and we are back. I am live from my bedroom. This is the MW Studios. Joining me from the BK Studios, Bradley Key. What's up, Mike? Uh, what's good, brother? What's happening, fam? You know, same old shit. Different day. How was your weekend? The weekend was good. I actually played some golf. Oh, very nice. Got out into the great outdoors. They've got a nice little setup where everybody, you wear like a mask and you pay from outside a window from the outdoors and then you never really come into contact with people. So I, uh, I'm i impressed with how society is coming along with new ways of allowing us to do old things. I'll tell you what I'm impressed by. Tell me. The Michael Jordan documentary, The Last Dance. Oh, are this you? This is the only thing on television. It's I'm I, I'm turned on the TV on ESPN. Magic Johnson is talking about beefs that he had with Michael 30 years ago. They're talking about practices in Monte Carlo. Uh, he's talking about Isaiah. I turn on ABC this morning. Good Morning America has Spike Lee. It's just it's the only thing that people care about. I yesterday on Friday. On the Today Show, they had all of Michael's sons on the Today Show and his daughter. Huh. I was just like, what? A, this, there is nothing else in the world that matters. J.J. Uh, Watt says 10 episodes isn't going to be enough. I don't know why J.J. Watt is part of the uh, the bottom of the Sports Center thing, <laughs> uh, but I love it. I love it. They're interviewing Charles Barkley as soon as the thing ends. i got to go back and watch that on DVR. Uh, good stuff. The, la- the last dance is... It's, an, it's incredible, and we are back to talk about it. In case you missed it last week, uh, Brad was unavailable, so uh, happy. I was happy to be joined by the one and only Mr. Coach Bobby, a middle school basketball coach who uh, <laughs> quite eloquently broke down episodes, uh, what, three and four. Yes. Last night was five and six. We're going to talk about that, but if you want to go get caught up, and Brad and I broke down one and two the week before, but... Uh, Whitey and I went for like two hours. He's the perfect representative to talk about this. I played basketball growing up with Bobby, and I remember when we were like just very young kids. He had he had uh, that same. He was really really like sh- he was shorter like than he like was undersized essentially. He was a point guard, and he had that same fire, that same competitive drive. You'd lose his mind if we ever lost. Uh, he's a good representative. That's fun. Yeah, he's basically Michael Jordan. But now he's <laughs> he's Michael Jordan without the ability. <laughs> uh, he's also going on several months of not talking to a woman. So if there are oh, any no. single women out there who would who would like to risk their quarantine by talking to Coach Bobby, he is available. But that's a whole other question. Okay, and a whole other topic for a whole other discussion. Of course, you know what to do, Brad. You should check out Mind of Micah. Okay, where uh, last week I released a, an episode that I did. Breaking down Love Island, Australia with Will and Sally DeFreeze. If you've watched any of that show, you should check it out. If you haven't, I I can't really suggest that episode. But later this week, Brad and I will be back, probably today, maybe tomorrow, I don't know, breaking down Top Chef. Top can't Chef wait. Talk. We took a week we off. We missed last week. Yeah, we missed last week, but we will be back to get caught up on both of the episodes that we've since missed to get ready for Thursdays. Uh, this week is Restaurant Wars, if you've ever watched... Uh, the seventeen the pinnacle of the show, yeah, of Top Chef. You know that Restaurant Wars is what it's all about. That's coming this week, so uh, you know now's a good time to hop on board. It should Top also Chef be talk. noted that Exclusively I am destroy- on mind 
of Micah. I am destroying Micah and anyone else in my way in this uh, fantasy uh, chef league. I am just, I am Michael Jordan Bulls 1992-93 right now, just annihilating people. That's it's true. Brad is dominating. I'm <laughs> down to one one chef, and it's not looking good. All right, uh, let's before we do talk uh, last dance, we'll run through a couple other sports headlines. Uh, Don Shula, 90 years old, dead. Uh, the Hall of Fame coach of uh, most famously the undefeated Miami Dolphins in what 1971 mm-hmm. the winningest coach in the NFL history is now uh, dead at 90 also an owner of uh, a chain of steakhouses never been to a shoeless steakhouse but I've me always either. wanted to go me too yeah. same it's got a great logo it's just sort of his his uh, his autograph mm-hmm. it's fantastic uh, he's gonna get a lot of credit today about putting Miami on the the national sports map because the when when uh, the Dolphins were sort of uh, dominant, they had no other pro sports teams in Miami. Miami was a smaller place, and that was that was uh, that's what built it up, huh? He was also the coach, of, I believe, the uh, the Baltimore Colts, and and uh, you know his son uh, was the coach. Mike Shula was the coach of the Bengals. I, I think both of his he had several sons that were coaches. Mm. One coach at Alabama, one at of the Bengals and was pretty lousy. But anyway, uh, Don Shula, winningest coach in NFL history, dead at 90. Uh, shouts to him. Uh, other headlines here. Uh, who's Bivens? I don't even know. Uh, Jordan stands... F- I mean, the top story on ESPN is Jordan stands firm on Republicans buy sneakers too. Quip. Um, yeah. So let's, hmm. get into the, let's get into the doc. Uh, the, well, a couple other things. NFL... Uh, will call off international games this year, which could be pretty interesting. Yeah, apparently uh, they. But, uh, it's a relatively new announcement that they're going to. They are officially having games in the fall, and that they're going to have crowds there, but there will be six feet between spectators, and then they'll have people when they exit the stadium exit like a church where each row leaves instead of everybody has mass exodus. Is it, did you hear this? Well, none of this is official. To be clear, that's the, what the rumor reports. is. Yeah, there's reports that Adam Schechter says that there won't be any international games this year. The NFL is set to release the full 17-game schedule. You forget they moved to 17 already. Yeah. Uh, this week, the Dolphins revealed a mock-up plan that would host about 6,000 fans. Is it 6,000 fans inside their stadium? Uh, no, 15,000 fans inside their 65-foot yeah, sixty-five thousand person stadium. So yeah, so we're kind of combining two stories here. And they would exit the stadium much like a church environment, where each row exits. Uh, interesting. So yeah, that's, I noticed that's it wasn't really kind of, like on ESPN. So like I knew it wasn't an official story, but it sounds like that's the rumors. That's what people are planning to do. Whether that it's... that is official, that was what the Dolphins announced on, on okay. Good Morning America this morning. So there you go. I don't know if that's the plan, but that's a a plan in the event that something else could happen. Uh, there's also a charity event with Roy McIlroy and Dustin Johnson. Do you want to talk about that? What is it? Oh, uh, I, I saw don't even Roy know about was it. On, Roy was on the Today Show today. Uh, I'm not watching the Today Daily. Show for the record, yeah. I, I'm not. Well, I am now because it's what <laughs> Caitlin watches in the morning and since I can't get away from anyone that I live with. Yeah, you I watch no it too, choice. I suppose. Yeah, I, I like to, to watch it. Uh, it was dope, though, today. Uh, okay. They had Rory on. Rory was talking to Carson Daly, who's like an avid golfer, 
and they are they talked about Rory and Dustin Johnson headlined a charity match for coronavirus relief. Uh, nice. Let's see. It'll be the f- tailor-made driving relief will be played at Seminole Golf Course in Florida, May seventeenth. McElroy and Johnson versus Fowler and Wolf in a skin team skins game. Oh, I did Live hear about this NBC actually. Yeah, those are all tailor made players. Free. Yeah. Well United Health Group pledged Fowler's not million dollars whatever. in charity skins, farmers. So there's there's gonna be millions of dollars given to charity for this. So that's what's up. Yeah. Great. Uh, but it was pretty dope. He was talking to Carson Daly, and then Carson Daly talked about how he and Rory are both avid Peloton people, as am I. <laughs> this and part then of your they crew? talked about their favorite coach, Alex Troussant, who then Alex Troussant had a birthday message for Rory McIlroy. Okay. And it was just dope. I love if If you're a Peloton person, you know exactly what I'm talking about. If you're not a Peloton person, you have no idea what I'm talking about. But I don't also, have any idea. Peloton, if you are a Peloton person, you should uh, follow me or friend me at Michael Weiner. And uh, are you join my hashtag? Join are you whoring hashtag, out your Peloton thing? Join my hashtag hashtag Bad Boys of Pelly, P E L L Y. Oh, that's terrible. Yeah, I joined uh, on Friday night. I went on uh, the Circling Back live stream. They do these happy hours twice a week. Okay. And uh, we decided to start our. Uh, they have a, a Circling Back hashtag, but that's lame. And I don't want to do a backdoor cover hashtag because that might seem a little weird. Well, there's so only I just did hashtag. <laughs> I announced it on theirs. Hashtag bad boys of Pelly. Backdoor cover might get you some seedy people following you. Rory does put up numbers though, and uh, you, who you know who puts up the biggest numbers of all though Tell. is uh, B- Booger McFarland. What his his Peloton numbers are off the fucking charts. I can't believe this this world we live in. You got Peloton followers? <laughs> oh yeah. Yeah, follow along. Hashtag bad boys of Pelly. All right, let's uh, let's <laughs> let's get to this. Last dance episode five. We'll run through uh, this recap before we start. Do you have any sort of what are you, what are your big t- or do you, let's just run through this and we'll talk. Uh, no, nah, I'm ready to talk end. though. I'm ready for a big takeaway here. Just real quick. Oh, episode right, we'll five was my favorite episode yet, and I think oh. it probably will event will hold up as my favorite episode. I really enjoyed hearing. Um, just the intro to the shoe and the endorsement kind of atmosphere and what he meant to the whole thing and kind of it it just kind of it resonates with my career so like it just was fascinating to me to kind of hear about the personal endorsement and the advertising side and the McDonald's and the burger whatever all the rest of Coca Cola I just I really liked that so that that's just my it. one takeaway I was a little underwhelmed by that part. Of it, really? to be honest with you. I thought they could have done more. I, I wanted to see more about how the NBA banned the, the Air Jordan 1, uh, and that's why Nike thought it was so successful. They didn't talk about that at all. Like, they put out these front full-page ads in, in newspapers to say that, you know, here's the shoe that the NBA doesn't want you to see. Jordan kept wearing them and just taking fines and making tons of money. But uh, I didn't. Uh, I could have done a little bit more of that. I could have done uh, a little bit more of his sort of brand stuff. But, you know, hey, you only get an hour. And I came to the conclusion, my big takeaway uh, to a certain extent is like at the end of episode six, I'm like, this thing is already, we're already headed the other direction. It's, we've wa- it's more than halfway there. Yes, I'm we've bo- surpassed the hill. Out. I'm bummed out. The uh, um, It was crazy, though. They talked about how like established NBA players, like, se- like vets that were stars, were making $100,000 endorsement deals. 
Jordan comes in as a rookie and signs with Nike for $250,000. And Nike's expectation is over these three years, we are hoping to sell $3 million worth of shoes. I think it was shoes. four years. Was it four? Whatever yeah, it was. Over the terms, they wanted they to sell, sell three million. million. And over year one, they sold $129 million worth of shoes. And like from there, that's, it was just on, right? It's pretty good ROI. That's fucking insane. It is so crazy. So it's, I just thought that was really fascinating. So just to, to quickly recap, episode one was kind of like the, the, the Jordan origin story. Uh, episode two was about Scotty. Episode three was about Rodman. Episode four was about Phil Jackson and the team kind of coming together. Episode five was about uh, exploring the immense popularity at two distinct moments of Michael's career. In 92, the Bulls uh, star had pulverized all comers in the NBA playoffs and the Barcelona Olympics, cementing his status as sports top global icon and pitchman. Then we kind of start at the All-Star game in February 98 where he duels with a 19-year-old Kobe Bryant. I love that part who, too. Uh, you know, they started this episode with a, an announcement that this episode was dedicated to Kobe. Um you know, you get the the awesome stuff where they're talking in the East locker room before the game and just just like, talking shit. And just talking shit about Kobe specifically, like that 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 young guy, he doesn't let the game come to him. He takes that boy. It, all that shit. Yeah, yeah. Nobody. I mean, nineteen year old, the youngest All Star of all time. Uh, you know, Kobe clearly embodied the be like Mike ethos better than anyone before, or maybe even since. Uh, well, then they talked like about how superstars really what, didn't get through to Jordan, but like towards the end of that game, he Jordan was like, "Hey man, yeah, you, you need advice. Call me." It's like that was right. just cool, man. That was awesome. Well, and and it's even crazier considering you know Kobe died in January, yeah. and at his memorial, Jordan stood up and said he he called Bryant his little brother, which yeah. we've never heard Michael talk about anything like that. And then we get this interview with Kobe where he says, "quote He's like my big brother." Isn't that crazy? Explain how he picked Jordan's brain about his signature turnaround jumper and other stuff. "Quote I truly hate having discussions about." Who would win one-on-one? What you get from me is what you get from him. I don't get five championships without him. He guided me so much and gave me so much great advice. So it was a pretty crazy moment to think about. I mean, you know, considering where we are and what what this fucking year has been like. Uh, Let's keep going. So, yeah, yeah. So we're in Madison Square Garden. We're at that All-Star game in 98. that, That stuff where... You know, they were making fun of Kobe because, as you remember, he, uh, as a rookie, he shot four straight air balls in the playoffs with the <laughs> Lakers. I don't know. Uh, yes. And then this is like Kobe's second year, basically. And uh, Jordan said, quote, that little Laker boy is going to take everyone one-on-one. He doesn't let the game come to him. He thinks, I'm going to make this shit happen. I'm going to go make this a one-on-one game. After the first four attempts, if I was his teammate, I went past him the fucking ball. You want the ball again, brother? You better rebound. I just, it was fucking amazing. That was such a great, it was so great. It was fantastic. But you could was, tell that Jordan Jordan respected Kobe and his gumption. Yes. There was like four or five different scenes throughout these two episodes where Jordan like honed in his, his uh, whatever you want to call it, focus or his determination. He was like, I'm going to destroy that person for whatever reason. It, they did it to Clyde. He yeah, did we've it always Tony. heard these stories about about these Michael, ones did like, a really good job of showcasing it. Yes, these were great examples of him, like either 
either taking real slights and and destroying people or like basically just making them up coming well, out of nowhere to destroy people. <laughs> Dan Marley he just cuz Kraus liked his defense he decided he's just going to fuck this guy up as hard as he could it was just so great like he just and he and like he just so fucking petty i just loved it that's the best part of it he just he just so naturally accepted like, yes, that's what I was doing, and this is why I did it. It just made me laugh, like, every time he was doing it. Him and him and Pippin telling the Dream Team, like, they can't guard Tony, like, only them two can do it. And him and Pippin just annihilate Tony Kukoc, where he goes, like, for zero points in the first half or whatever and ends up with four on terrible shooting percentages in that first game of the the, uh, the Olympics. I just, I found that to be so, so funny and so, like, genuine because it is truly petty and despicable in every sense of the word except for in this particular atmosphere where it's like no that's actually kind of that's kind of a a good quality actually um i don't know it's a it's just very funny speaking of petty i on espn right now in in the year of our lord 2020 uh-huh magic johnson is on first take talking about why Isaiah Thomas wasn't on the dream team, a team that played basketball in 1992. Well, that was like, one of the big storylines in this episode. Too. It was, but it's just amazing that this is like the, the biggest thing that people are talking about in all of, all of sports right now. Again, well, there I is know no I talked about earlier, but it is, it's crazy. Yeah. Uh, we get, we get some footage of David Falk, who was, um, Michael's agent talked about, uh, as you mentioned, it said they, they had an initial goal of 3 million in sales for four years they grossed 126 million in the first year. Well, and that baby uh, was his too. Wasn't it Falk's idea to have this, Falk this said patented that he shoe? To sign with Nike, yeah, and that he he took credit for Air Jordan because Nike had the Air shoes. Uh, yeah, but no one made like signature shoes for for basketball players. They're doing it in like tennis and boxing and stuff because those are individual right, yes, sports. That was an interesting thing. That, and that, that was what Falk's Falk's kind of. He that's where he took the credit. He was like, "I want my my player to be his signature shoe." Yeah. Uh, Jordan also signed deals with Nike, McDonald's, Gatorade, and Wilson. Um, yeah, that signature shoe was was pretty interesting. Um, and then once they started winning, you know, this thing became an unstoppable deal. Once the Bulls got over the hump against the Pistons and and the Lakers in 91, there was no stopping Michael. The leading storyline head into the 92 finals was Jordan's matchup with Clyde Drexler, the era's other leading shooting guard. Commentators needed a Jordan foil, and high, the high-flying Drexler was the top candidate. Jordan didn't take kindly to the notion that he had an equal or a near-equal. And they did talk about how statistically their numbers were pretty similar. Yeah, Uh you know, one thing that that they didn't really talk about, but you got to remember this: the NBA up to this point had been dominated by big men. Yes, throughout its history, its thirty-five, forty-year history at this point, or maybe forty-five years. Um, there, you know, you'd had the Zeke teams uh, that had gone back to back, but you know, I mean, th- that was a big bruising. Those were the bad boys. That wasn't all about Isaiah being a, a dominant wing player, and. To, to see that you now have two shooting guards being the best players on on these two teams, right? Uh, it was a little bit of a, an error-defining thing. It was worth kind of noting that the game is changing here. Uh, it was sort of against common common thought at that point that that you could have this. Anyway, Clyde uh, Clyde was a threat. Jordan says, "I'm not saying he wasn't a threat, 
But me being compared to him, I took offense to that. Based off where I was playing at the time, it wasn't even close. I attacked him every night. Uh, <laughs> and then they just showed Jordan just tearing up Clyde. Oh, here's uh, one. Danny Ainge. So Danny Ainge played on the uh, Trailblazers in the 92 finals. So he said he was concerned because Clyde Jackson was actually being considered to be on par with Jordan. So here's the quote. I knew we were in trouble because Clyde was getting all this hype and Michael was being very differential, saying all the right things. I knew he wouldn't stop until he made it clear that no one, not Clyde or anyone else, was on his level. Jordan outscored Drexler 39-16 in game one and never looked back. That's a pretty good quote. Yeah, game one, of course, the, the famous shrug game where yeah. he hit six threes. Oh, uh, that was, you know what happened in that in game that I didn't know about? One. That, so that? that he was making that shrug to Magic Johnson because they were playing cards the night before, and Jordan was like, I'm going to destroy. I'm going at him. I'm going to get him. And so apparently he was. Uh, Magic was like, he kept looking over at me and making these smirks and finally looked over and shrugged at me because he yeah. was doing the ABC broadcast. Uh, NBC. Yeah. NBC, yeah. yeah. No, it's, it's true. It was, uh, that was a great story. I didn't story. know that. It, yeah, I had heard that before, but it was fun to hear Magic tell the story that we had up. We were up playing cards the night before, and he just said, "I'm gonna kill this guy." And every <laughs> I'm gonna time just he hit a three, destroy this guy. He would just every like, time he hit a three, just glance over at at Magic, which is so great. Like, could you imagine somebody doing this now? Twitter would just lose their fucking mind. Well, I mean, the, the part about the night before them discussing it and Jordan just having this like serious disdain and hate for a man just because he's being compared to like to be on par with you is just incredible like it's just not it just isn't a mindset that i think occurs to people very naturally so then the bulls basically after that that six three first half and and again this is like i think they said that four three pointers was the nba record in a finals game at that point like the right. league was not this is not steph curry just bombing you know shooting 12 of these on average it's game. not james harden stepping back 11 times a game yeah, it, it was a different game. And so, like, he got five in the first quarter and set the full game record, I think. So he had six in the first half. Uh, he hits the shrug. They end up rolling past uh, Portland in, what, five or six? I forget. Um, and there, they, there's a great shot of them firing up victory cigars and Michael telling Jerry Krause, you can't smoke it. <laughs> It'll stunt your growth, which is just <laughs> fucking so hilarious. It's so cold, man. Well, and there was also that quote of Jerry Krause, like, talking about how oh, the team's good yes. and, you know, I don't want to take anything away from the team, but this is a full organization from the owner to the to the ball boy or whatever. Like, get the fuck out of here, dude. That that was, like, his that, most like, famous quote, the, too. the greatest organization ever. That, I, I hadn't seen that quote. Like, he's so fucking hateable. And he's I know the that, worst. Oh my I god, he's people, so awful. You know, came out and sort of defended him or whatever, and said, you know, it's not fair that this guy is is uh, playing the villain here, and he, he's the one person who's not around to speak for himself. But I've heard Michael Wilbon say this like in the last few weeks. He's like, yeah, he was the villain because he was a jerk. Like that's who this dude was. Like he is trash. This isn't an unfair pr portrayal. He's just a, a a small little man, and uh, and he was an asshole. And we see it here, and Michael just saying, you can't smoke, it'll stunt your growth. It's so <laughs> fucking hilarious. Wait, wait, so here's a little bit more. Weeks later, he and Drexler, he being Michael, he and Drexler were on the Olympics team, and Jordan rode Drexler so hard that some players had to finally ask him to back off. Like, this is after he beat him in the championship, and he's in the Olympics just destroying Drexler in practice and stuff. 
He's just petty, man. He's a fucking psycho. Yeah, so we go to the Olympics. Uh, Jordan is clearly the, the biggest star on the planet in sports. No, it hasn't happened yet. So this is it's before that practice, and that's what the episode's kind of about. And that's what's so great about this episode is they're t- they go the dream team goes and it's and it's Michael and it's Magic and it's Barkley and and Barkley and Magic get get like mashed up on the same team, right? And they're beating up on Michael real bad, well, yeah. talking shit to him. Yeah, and so this is when he's like, "All right, well that was yeah, that's episode six. Oh, it was okay. We'll, my bad. We'll get there. Yeah, yeah. It's it all it's all running together. But they, so then we get to, we get there. Uh, well, maybe it is episode five. When we get to the Olympics. You see him walking around the Olympic, Olympic thing in that ridiculous outfit. Oh, it's so with, tight. You don't like with it? With the giant fucking mural. The greatest. That purple I mean, I, swirly stuff. Yeah, it, it matching <laughs> top and bottom. I mean, it was basically like a man onesie. What, it looks so awesome. He had it tucked ridiculous. in. Yeah, he looks I mean, incredible. And stand in front of this like nine built, nine story portrait of himself. Um, <laughs> you have the great stuff with Ahmad Rashad, where Ahmad like walks in. Michael's holding a golf bag that says Michael Jordan. He goes, "Hey, who's going to take the last shot in a close game?" Jordan looked just totally insulting, but like me, that's He's a like, dumb question. Me, get the fuck out of here. He's talking to like the, the desk clerk at a hotel. <laughs> He's just Jordan's walking, like, kidding like, me? Just like leave me the fuck alone, Ahmad. Uh, they also yeah so we I guess this isn't going to really talk about the uh, the you know so we do get the Isaiah stuff here yeah um, how he was like barred from the team yeah and and it was inter- I mean Jordan like basically he acknowledged that you know that was it, his first it question created a different feeling for the team but he sort of denied rumors that he influenced Thomas's stub you know snubbing but he obviously did. But then he obviously what, did. this documentary did that was better than most is it showed how most of the other guys on the team fucking hated Isaiah too. Like it yes. wasn't just Mike. Everyone uh, showed, hated him. They showed magic. They showed uh, Bird. Uh, Bird. Like these guys. I mean, most of the team hated hated Zeke. Like so, everybody who was good hated Isaiah Thomas. They had all fought in with him. But yeah. the question, though, the first question, the guy calls him up, calls up Jordan, whoever it is who's, who's recruiting the team, and Michael's like, who's playing? And they're like, what? And he's like, who's playing? And he's like, well, the guy who you're thinking of isn't playing. And they're referring to Isaiah yeah, Thomas. Clearly like, Isaiah. Even though yes. like, it was sort of like a mob thing. Like it was like Tony Soprano. Like, <laughs> hey, I'm just not going to say... I'm just not going to say Isaiah's name, so that way I can deny that I I ever it's, didn't want Isaiah on the team. It sounded like, like even, the Adidas even when calls, he didn't it? Recounted it. It's so funny. It sounded like like the uh, the shoe endorsement deal Adidas stuff, where it's like <laughs> they aren't saying the guy's name directly, but you know they're all speaking in code, like you said. The uh, the mob. I'm totally with you. I mean, it's very funny to me that that uh, the way they did that, like oh, the guy you're thinking of, like just say Isaiah. <laughs> <laughs> and even 30 years later, he's like, the guy, it's just, it's really funny. Did they it's know they were being wiretapped? Like, <laughs> what is this? I, I guess. It's really. Just, I guess they knew because they were recording the, the documentary. Like, they knew that it was going to be a piece on there. So that's why they had to speak in code, maybe. I don't. It was but, really uh, great. Apparently, this has, like, been his story all along. It's just, it's funny to me. Um, my computer just crapped out, which is. Uh-oh. Oh, there, there we go. Um. Also in this episode, Michael defends the Republicans wear sneakers too comment. Yeah. Where 
which you know I we'd all heard this quote, but I'd never really seen the back backdrop that he was there was a uh, a racially charged Senate race in his home state of North Carolina, uh, and he refused to you know publicly support the Democratic nominee who was a black man against. Uh, he refused to make a statement. He was able. Was, he was willing to pay. He was willing to let his mother endorse him, but he wasn't willing to go on a whatever video record saying you. I endorse this guy with my right. Whatever. Um, I don't know, man. And he, I thought and it, he, like, he came he up much better than I expected. He also didn't deny that he said it. Right. He was just like, yeah, I said it in jest. I was, I was joking. You know what? They were like, always I'm, joking. They were, those dudes were joking at all times. They were cutting up on the bus and just like clowning and like that was just one of the comments that happened to come out i i thought jordan came off better than i expected him to because i thought he's kind of like this was a, a black eye mark for him and after seeing the full the full coverage of it i kind of left being like ah eh, it's not as bad as i had anticipated it yeah was. yeah it, it, i kind of thought it was admirable that he was like look i play basketball that's i'm not a political figure i'm not here for that and he took it away from dollar bills and endorsement stuff and more towards look man I don't I don't want to throw my name and my hat into the political ring and I could respect that fully because I wouldn't want to either. So Yeah. Well the I argument, like that. You know, it's some somebody said like, you know, it, it makes it seem more like you know, the the argument becomes Michael's more interested in making personal money than right. he is helping politicals. That's and what I thought at first too. And I thought you this know, and, thing and that's did a sort of what you think when you just hear that, that quote out of nowhere. Right. But you know, after he sort of explained himself, you understand where he's coming from. It um, makes a lot more sense. And that he, he sort of said it in joking. And, you know, I mean, I I just kind of, I'm not a political person. I, I wasn't in North Carolina. I didn't know enough about it. My mom told me to write a check. I wrote a check. I'm not going to stand up and, and speak about somebody right. I don't know about. Like, that was sort of, that made sense. Anyway. That made a lot of sense, man. Um, and it's kind of refreshing, too. It's like, so many people are just like up on their soapbox. Sometimes it's kind of nice if you just look, man, focus on your craft, do your thing. I mean, it it would have been very meaningful for, you know, the movement, whatever. But at the same time, I can totally respect it. All right, let's uh, let's get back to the documentary here. We've got uh, back to Barcelona. Uh, the only drama at the '92 Olympics was manufactured before the competition. There was significant debate about Isaiah. We talked about that a little bit. Um, then they they talked about Tony Tony Kukoc. This was incredible. This was awesome. The video it's they had so of Tony Kukoc just watching the Dream Team on TV as a kid. His interviewer was like, "I didn't know anything about the Bulls dynamics. Like, I didn't know that these guys hated Jerry Krause. I just knew this guy was coming here and trying to give me money, and I thought I'd it stay was over another there." Instance. It was my another team, instance. My country was having a civil war, so I had to, like it, it was crazy. Right, and it was another instance where they just took somebody who Jerry Krause thought was a good prospect, and the sole reason they wanted to destroy him was because Jerry Krause had put his name behind him and and then spoke up about this guy as if he was a great prospect, and so they were like, "That's it, we're gonna destroy this human." We're and nobody else on the dream team. Hey, you guys aren't allowed to do anything to him. It's us. Like, it's, <laughs> that's just insane. Well, they drafted him in the second pick of the second round in 1990 and spent years trying to get him to the NBA. Uh, right, and he was making way more money. Jerry, the quote yeah. from Jordan, 
Jerry Krause is willing to put someone in front of his actual kids who have given him everything. Right. Like, it was very funny. They hated Krause. And uh, Jordan and Pippen decided we're just going to fucking dominate Tony Kukoc. Now, this is a well-known story. This is this has a lot of history, but I'd never really heard Tony Kukoc speak on it. And, and until you see the video, just fucking ridiculous. It, they Croatia, do, you know, they made it him. seem pretty clear that Croatia was the second-best team in the tournament all along. They met in the first round. And Jordan and Pippen, you know, the it, this is a legendary yeah. story that these guys are just like nobody's guarding him but me and me and Pip. And, and Pippen's just, the one who looked the best out of all of them. He was the one who scored all the points. Like just well, went you know, off. Pippen was the most underpaid guy, right? Uh, and they were giving trying to get him all this money to Tony Kukoc and a guy who basically played a lot like Pippen too. Uh, you know, a, a big, tall, point forward type guy, um, even though Kukoc played more of a, a traditional four in the NBA. But that's you know, like that wasn't really his game. Uh, yeah, but before there was sort of a stretch right. four. Right, of course. Yeah, so then they just fucking wreck him. He scores four points at the end of the game, but basically got nothing. Uh, <laughs> Pippen was just, to hear Pippen after the game was fucking hilarious, where he just says, I hear all this talk that he just had a bad game and he was nervous. If the, if he's that nervous, he can't come to the NBA and play 82 games. Just fucking killing the guy who they know <laughs> Still, is going to be their teammate at some point. Well, maybe. Maybe he'll come. But, but I mean, they've. it's another instance where, like, you know, Magic was talking about Jordan, how, like, he'd, like if he'd beaten you, like, he took your money, that was one thing, but he wasn't done yet. He wanted to, like, step on your throat afterwards and just squish. That's what they're doing to coach here. Like, they've murdered him, and now they're just desecrating his body at this point. Cold played better. Kukoc played better against Team USA in the gold medal game, uh, and he also played 13 years in the NBA when he came yeah. in '93, which is pretty wild. He won three titles with the Bulls, and uh, pretty interesting. Pippen and Jordan both seem to agree that their harsh treatment of Kukoc was actually a proxy war with Kraus, which is funny. Uh, Pippen says Jerry paved the way for a lot of hell for Tony Kukoc. <laughs> We were going to do everything we could to make Jerry look bad, which is fucking great. It's so incredibly entertaining, too. Because I kind of want them to make Jerry look bad. So when they did it, just like they did it to epic proportions, too. It just made you happy. Maybe I'm petty, too. Yeah, then we had we had some more uh, Barcelona stuff. We had uh, there was the scene where Magic and Larry and Michael are all together. And uh, it's pretty clear they were kind of doing the symbolic 80s to 90s deal. And uh, Magic said something like, you can't get too close to Michael or it's a foul. And they just sort of laughed, which is funny. This is uh, that practice, then, right? Th- and th- that was like the photo shoot. And then we get to the practice okay. in Monte Carlo, which we've this all heard about. This was awesome. I mean, this has been in documentaries before. This is, uh, I read the Jack McCollum uh, Dream Team book, and you can read all about this. The video of this is in, I think it was in, NBA TV documentary about the Dream Team that, and they show like a lot of this footage. This is a legendary practice where uh, Jordan's team is going up against Johnson's team head to head. Johnson and Barkley, eight or ten points. They're talking tons of shit. Uh, Johnson threw the. They showed Magic throwing the ball into the top of the arena in disgust over a foul call. Uh, Jordan went fucking crazy, hitting threes, gained 10 points in a row, and uh, finished off a comeback win. And then the most hardcore thing about it is where he just goes, this is the 90s. 
and Magic goes, what does that mean? He goes, you know what that means. Or whatever the fuck it was. Where it's like, basically, like, get off You're the stage, old. old man. This is my world. Like, you, you might have run the 80s. It's the 90s now, bitch. Like, and it was just so fucking mean and cold-blooded and the tone that he said it in. I was watching this with the fiance, and she's sitting next to me. She's like, what does that mean? This is the 90s. Like, that is like the biggest old. fuck you I've ever heard. To, He's to washed up. With, yeah, to a man with HIV. Uh, just fucking relentless. Absolutely but the best part's relentless. the end on the bus. Oh yeah, that was that was great too. Where they talked about how everyone got on the bus and was just like quiet because it got it, so intense. Because it, it was like so intense, they were all like talking about how it was the best they've all ever played. And Barkley and and uh, Matt Johnson get up on Jordan. They talk shit to him to the point where like Jordan busts and just goes off on these dudes. They they're up eight and they turn around. Jordan scores ten straight. They're down two and they're like, "What the hell?" So everybody gets on the bus and there's like all this animosity and like anger. It's just dead quiet. And like after five minutes of driving, Magic stood up and was like, "That's why you don't piss off Michael Jordan." Something like that. Yeah. And everybody uh, like just just erupts. The bus erupts, and everybody starts clowning on each other. And it's like this defining moment that brought them all together. Yeah. There's a little bit of the stuff about the Republicans uh, don't buy or Republicans buy sneakers too. Uh, Jesse Helms versus Harvey Gant. The North Carolina Senate race, as we talked about. Jordan said, quote, I don't want to speak out of pocket about something, somebody I don't know. Yeah. Many people thought those were cop-outs, but um, he pushed back. He we had covered Obama, all that. He kind of, yeah, we talked about this. Obama even said, you you would have liked to have seen Michael push harder on something like this. But uh, it was clear Michael doesn't give a fuck. His regret, if he had regret, it wasn't visible because... He argued the scope of his fame made it impossible for him to please everybody, which was a good point, too, which we didn't talk about, mm. where he was just like, it'll never be enough for some people. Like, I can go out and do anything I want, and it's going to piss off the people that want me to do it, and it's going to piss off the other people, which is good. I liked what he said about Muhammad Ali. He said, I do commend Muhammad Ali for standing up for what he believed in, but I never thought of myself as an activist. I thought of myself as a basketball player. I wasn't right. a politician. I was playing the sport, focused on my craft. Was that selfish? Probably. That was my energy. I set examples. If that inspires you, great. If it doesn't, then maybe I'm not the person you should be following. Basically, I am not a role model. He just beat Chuck to it. 30 years later. And that's the end of episode five. Yeah. Yeah. It was good. All right, let's get to episode six. Good. I have some questions for you once we get there, but I'm going to let you start it off first. All right. Uh, episode six. This one's all about the media, this? right? Yeah, I guess. I don't know exactly what this was about. This is more about his retirement or the end of the, the first run, I guess. Le what uh, led up to it, right? And Yeah. So Jordan's long and rich career raised countless questions, but none more fundamental than this. Why did he retire at the top of his game twice? The Last Dance carefully chronicled the months leading up to Jordan's second retirement in '98. But episode six was devoted to the factors that led him to step away from the game for five years, or step away from the game five years earlier. Uh, so now we, we get to the 93 championship season. We see Jordan just wrecking everybody in the league. Uh, Isaiah, Magic, Clyde, the entire team at the Barcelona, and then next up was Charles Barkley and the Suns in the 93 finals. Um, and then we, we do see sort of the burden that Jordan was under. Uh, a lot. We'll, we'll get to the finals here in a minute, but 
uh, 29. Jordan is the global face of basketball. And, you know, they show him, they they go on a 15-4 to run uh, to win their third straight title. Phoenix uh, is just overmatched, basically. Uh, but we'll talk about that in a little while. We talk what we see here is the life as an icon, which was the sort of the daily uh, toll that Jordan paid. Uh, he was mobbed everywhere he went, constantly fielding requests for commercial shoots and meet and greets. His right. harsh leadership style was put under a microscope in the Jordan Rules, the best-selling tell-all book that Sam Smith wrote. His love of high-stakes gambling on golf and card games spawned tons of rumors and media critiques. Meanwhile, he's finishing his seventh straight year of playing at least 3,000 minutes and leading the league in scoring. Uh, he was on the opposite of a load management lifestyle on and off the court. So you kind of see, you put all those pieces together, it makes sense as to why uh, this guy is, is burned out to a certain extent. Yeah. Yeah, uh, you see Jordan saying, my fame was good at the beginning, but now that you're on a pedestal, it's just not positive talk you're hearing. You hear some people take shots at you. It changes the whole idea of being out there for people to see you. I'm at that stage of my career and my life where I'd rather get behind closed doors than be out there in the spotlight taking shots. And th they had the great shot of him uh, with the video crew just, like, chilling in a hotel room, like, just going to sit here and watch TV all fucking day. You there? Yeah, I'm here. Okay. Uh, pressure and criticism reached a boiling point during the 93 playoff series against the Knicks. They show the Knicks kind of become the, the biggest threat to Jordan's Bulls at this time where he took a trip away from New York City to Atlantic City uh, in a limo to unwind with his father and friends the night before a game. The timing of the trip raised some questions about his focus, led some to speculate he was a gambling addict, prompting his uh, dad to publicly defend him. Anyway, you know, we, we get the stuff with Jordan's gol golf buddies who wrote like a book about how much they gambled, <laughs> how the gambling right. was a cry for help and all this shit. Uh, plus, he had... He'd played golf with some other guy who was a money launderer and a drug mover or something. Uh, and he's so pissed off about this when people were, were mad that he goes on a media blackout for two weeks during the finals or during the, you know, during the playoffs. And then he breaks it for an interview with Ahmad Rashad before the finals where he wore sunglasses indoors and defended himself against a uh, gambling addiction. It's fucking It didn't hilarious. come off well, didn't it? I, I mean, it's not great. And if could you imagine what this would fucking be like in Twitter on Twitter in 2020 if LeBron, if all this shit about LeBron playing golf for hundreds of thousands of dollars with felons and shit is popping up, and then he during the Eastern Conference Finals or the Western Conference Finals just goes dark for two weeks, and then he does an interview in the, in sunglasses in the dark in a room like it was just unbelievable. Didn't look good. I didn't think it looked great, but. At the same time, I could kind of understand what he was doing. And what I really thought was the most interesting thing about all this was the, the media's role. They, they were so villainized in this segment. Don't you think? Like the entire time they were just nagging him and nagging him and nagging him and nagging him and beating him to death to the point where even Magic Johnson was like, if y'all don't stop, he's, you're going to chase him off. You, like it, it, it was clear that it was leading up to a, a problematic ending, you know? Yeah, it's weird to, and I've never seen this sort of footage, because when he retired the first time, it was such a shock to everybody. 
I'd never seen him sort of drop the hints. And they show in these interviews, he says, he's talking about his gambling. It's a hobby. If I had a problem, I'd be starving, hawking my watch and my championship ring, selling my house. My wife would have left me or my kids would be starving. I do not have right. a problem. I enjoy gambling. The media has taken it far greater than it is. Soon, whenever I walk away from the game, it's going to be the only bad thing people will say about Michael Jordan. Ahmad then asked, could soon be this summer? And Mike said, could be. Right. Which I think is sort of the first time anybody, I don't think that anybody thought a 30-year-old at the peak of his game was going to disappear. Uh, right. He did. And then they sort of fast forward five years. Five years later, during he's getting burned out again. Now even more famous and more decorated, Jordan was fully trapped in the interview uh, in a hotel room. He's savoring the act of doing nothing. He says, this is it. Lay back, watch TV all day. It was peaceful until you guys came in here. Uh, I don't have to worry about anybody bothering me. This isn't one of those lifestyles that you envy where you're confined to this room. I'm ready for get, I'm ready for getting out of this life. You know when you get to that point, I'm there with no reservations at all. So that's before the second retirement, which makes— That was crazy too, though, man. Like that's one of those situations where people hit their peak fame, like peak popularity, whatever. Like like how kind of how whatever Michael Jackson did, Britney Spears, these people where they just like spin off the side of the world. They're so famous they can't even leave their front door without having people up all Mm -hmm. up in their face. It's just kind of wild. Yeah, and that's really where Michael was. And, you know, so it but makes bigger once you see this, like it all makes sense. And he, you know, there there are reputable people following him like the, you know. This isn't just a bunch of paparazzi. These are, you know, everywhere he goes, he's obligated to talk to the media. Uh, before and after every game, it's just right. kind of wild. Uh, it talks about how the the attention complicated Jordan's life, but he coped by seeking out competition in all forms. They show him fucking playing poker games and playing dollar dollar hands of blackjack. That was a great story that Will Perdue talked about. How uh, that was awesome. How the guys in the back are playing, you know, six thousand dollar games. Yeah, and then the guys in the front of the player playing one dollar a hand blackjack. And Michael, so it's like, what are you guys doing? And uh, like, you know, why do you want to play with us, Mike? And he said, "quote I want to say that I have your money in my pocket." <laughs> He just wants to win. That's he, yeah, doesn't, he doesn't have a care how problem. much dollar it costs. He's just I want to have your money in my pocket. Amazing. I want to humiliate you and I want to win. So then we go back to the finals in '93. Uh, Jordan wants revenge against Barkley uh, because Barkley had beat him for the uh, MVP award. One thing that pe- that they don't really show here: Barkley was really the best player on the Dream Team at that point in time. Really, he was. He was at his absolute apex. He was in he was in great shape. He was loved. Like he was the most dominant player on that team, uh, and he was really at the peak of his powers. And then he comes back and after the Dream Team wins the MVP the next year, right? And Going takes into his the... team to the finals. And uh-huh. this is when when Mike just said like, eh-eh. the scene where uh, Chuck is singing the Like Mike song, the Gatorade Like Mike song, yeah. and he's like. Want to be like Chuck? I mean, like Mike. It was great. It was it so funny. It was so Chuck. I mean, it's also funny. I was sitting there watching this with Caitlin, and she's just like, "Oh wait, that's Charles Barkley from TV." I'm like, "Yeah, yeah." Yes. Like it's hard. Like we've seen Charles so much on television for the last seventeen, eighteen years, however long he's been retired and been on TNT. Like it's hard to remember him as a as a player. I'm sure most people that listen to this 
don't even remember that. And like how fucking good he was too. But like really, really. What, I mean, just uh, such a unique, unbelievable player. Um, anyway, to, to see Chuck and and have that personality playing with Michael is funny. Uh, well, then they get to the end of the '93 um, playoffs when Jordan finally takes him, and and Chuck has that statement. And he's like, "It was the first time in my life where I could honestly look at at the basketball court and say someone was better than me. I am not the best in the world." He's like, "That is the first time I could concede that. Like, I I played my best basketball, and Michael just beat me. Yeah, it was kind that. of a, a humbling, like, pers- like inner perspective thing from Chuck who." it kind of puts into perspective how good he was, right? No doubt. Jordan, in addition to wanting revenge for Barkley's MVP award, also mm. wanted to punish Dan Marley because Jerry Krause <laughs> liked him. That was it. Because of his defensive prowess. No, Krause wanted him. He was a prospect that Krause thought was really good. So he was like, oh, you think he could play defense? I'm gonna show you how he can play defense. Just and he because just his boss likes this guy. another player, like he just wanted to fucking wreck him. It's amazing. <laughs> what a psycho! I love it. Uh, you know, Phoenix. Phoenix has home court advantage, but the Bulls go in and get Game One and Game Two in Phoenix, basically ending the series. You'd think, but it was two three two at the time instead of two two one 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 like it is now, right? So. Phoenix comes into Chicago and wins game three in a triple overtime game. Um, And then Jordan comes back in game four, puts up 55, and basically says, you know, we're up 3-1, we're winning the series. Uh, You know, that being said, though, the Charles's team came back and won game five, or, yeah, game five. That was game four. He puts up 55. They're up 3-1. Game five is also in Chicago. Everybody expects Chicago to to plan a – plan the the parade and uh phoenix's team gets that that win in in chicago we go back so now you're thinking they've got two games if they can win two home games they could do this but that was never going to happen jordan had the great quote about how i only packed one suit because we ain't playing two games (laughs) which is amazing uh more psychotic behavior all of these behaviors would be so despicable in real life, and they're so delightful in this atmosphere, this arena, this whatever stage. It is. it, Isn't it funny? Word, but yeah, it's just so pleasant today, and delightful, and like, it's just so dark and everywhere else you could possibly act like this. I mean, if he just said, like, I only brought one suit. We're, we're closing these hoes out this week. <laughs> I mean, amazing. Uh, Paxton said after the, the Game 6 win that it was more relief rather than true joy. Um which is kind of interesting. You see that the way that they celebrate, it's not Jordan in, in tears holding the Larry right. Brofen this time. Um, he just like, ugh. They talked over. about what it meant to win three in a row, which is something that Larry and, and uh, Magic had never done. Uh, pundits were also already making the case for Jordan as the greatest of all time, uh, and he had proved convincingly that none of his contemporaries were on his level at this point. Jordan was coming around to the idea that he had nothing left to prove and they might need a new challenge. Those close to him were awed by his game and acutely aware of his burden. It says, I wouldn't, I wouldn't be like Micah Bull's PR staffer said, summarizing the ominous circumstances. It's an impossible task. They really did. Like, it's something where, like, you look at it from afar and you're like, bullshit, you don't want to be like Mike. Like, that would be awesome. But you get closer to it and you see how 
like demanding that life was where he couldn't ever leave his front he couldn't touch his the door handle on his door to leave without having somebody just up his ass yeah and like even like like, his pr his hotel room he's got to be you know he's gonna be following and and they then they show him getting off the elevator and the lobby just people losing their mind for him it's crazy and they're just Uh, everyday people not paparazzi yeah not media it's like a hundred people i mean media is there but well, yeah. they talked about, like, from the time he leaves his hotel room till he gets on the bus, he's got to go through people. He goes to the facility. People are there early, like, waiting for him to go in the building. After the game, he's getting mobbed. Then he goes back to the hotel, and he's getting mobbed. Like, literally. But he does it, and he does it. T- the thing that was really kind of cool about that is he does, like, a 10-minute thing with a, a, a child or whatever that's has a, um, whatever, that's, what's the word? When you have, when you're, have a death, illness, whatever. Oh, the Make-A-Wish kids? Uh, yeah, whatever. Yeah I, yeah, I can't think of the word for whatever reason. But yes, he has like 10 minutes where he spends with a Make-A-Wish kid every single game before he does any of that stuff, and he sits there and lets them know him, which was really awesome. Yeah, it was nice. Uh, th- that's why you uh, get yourself, that's why you get your own production company to uh, produce uh, this this video. <laughs> that does help. Do you so think you that, that was part Cause, worked I mean, in there? I, I don't want to sound too fucking petty, but... I mean, if just someone jaded. else had produced, yeah, too jaded. If, if you're producing this documentary, you're. you're uh, you I think don't know. that was a little thing he dropped. I in think there, that huh? that's something that's like, hey, uh, we need two minutes of me talk. Uh, we need two minutes about people talking about how great I was uh, as a person there for a second. Thanks. Um, anyway, you got the quote from Barkley. I have no problem losing to Michael. There's no shame in that. Sports are like a gunfight, and we lost to the fastest gun. Uh, here's a little more on Chuck. I'll read. I'm reading this Washington Post recap, by the way, which is excellent. Yeah. No matter what Shaquille O'Neal might say on TNT's set, Barkley should never be remembered as just another guy who never won a title. uh, Jordan won in 93, but Barkley was sensational in his own right, averaging 25.6, 12.12 rebounds, and five assists, similar to Giannis's uh, MVP stat lines from the last two seasons. In the decades since, Barkley's often entered the finals convinced he was... uh, Wait, Barkley has said he offered... He entered the finals convinced he was the best player in the league. Uh, and he's, and then he had the great quote here where he said, I played as well as I could play, and Michael just outplayed me. Uh, in yeah. In game two, where Barkley went for 42-13 and four assists, that was probably the first time in my life that I felt there was a better basketball player than me. I like that part. Before the Suns were eliminated, though, Barkley got a chance to play spoiler, uh, the min- winning that game five that we talked about. Uh, he said he was annoyed by reports that Chicago area businesses were boarding up their windows in preparation for possible riots. And then Barkley let, let loose a classic one-liner. Uh, Take that shit off the windows. You don't need it tonight, which is fantastic. And yeah. Some it, wild stuff, man. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You had a quote from Michael where he said, I want to leave the leave two years before my skills say I can't play this game. I don't ever want to miss my time to go. A lot of players say they want to play until they can't play anymore. Ewing said that one time they'd have to carry him off the court. No one's going to carry me off the court. I want to walk off the court. A lot of people say you're going to miss basketball. I'm not sure I'm going to miss it. I don't think I'm going to miss it. That's what he said. And, of course, we later find out that clearly he missed basketball and had to come back (laughs) and play for the (laughs) Wizards for two years and age 38. but it is funny that you, if you, you know, you look at Patrick Ewing, who ended his career like in an Orlando Magic uniform, 
and then you think you you know what you you hear Michael and going out on top hitting that shot, but then two years later he's playing for the Washington Wizards in a terrible blue uniform. It is crazy that that's the way that Ewing's still in. involved. He's he's still coaching basketball and still very much in the in the game. Well, yeah, but I mean he also played for the SuperSonics and the Magic instead of <laughs> you know in his career with the Knicks. Just kind of funny, right? Yeah, so you know, we talked a little bit about all this, these gambling stuff. I mean, it it wasn't that interesting to me. Uh, I mean, it was either. interesting, but like obviously, you get the they made it seem like these people were scumbags, which I'm sure they were. Uh, They've they downplayed show, a lot. They of show the Connie Chong stuff too. Yeah, and we're, we're like, if they don't cover that next week, I'm gonna be pissed. You know? Yeah, because kind of this all led up, up to the to two. What, yeah, they're leading yeah. up to the uh, the first retirement. But next week we're gonna have they're gonna have to I'm gonna have to have David Stern tell me that he didn't force him out, and we're gonna have to like really get into the conspiracy theories because they sort of right. set the table for that, but they don't really get into it. So next week we we're gonna need to get that because he doesn't actually go on retirement either. He just they win versus Barkley, and that's the end of the episode. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So we're we're getting there. And then they show an interview with Connie Chung, uh, where he, you know, where he said I can stop gambling. I have a competition problem, which is fucking yeah. hilarious. Um, you know, Jordan gives a hundred different self defenses over these old interviews and the one for the documentary. He downplays and rationalizes behavior despite significant sums of money, but they're not significant for him and the negative impact it had on his life. He said he never gambled on any games, he never broke any laws. He argued that the media misreported how late he was out during the Atlantic City trip. And by an hour, he learned a lesson by not appropriately vetting unsaving, unsavory gambling partners. You had the great quote from David Stern where he said, "We never reached epic crisis levels, in my view." David Stern, rest in peace. Such a fucking, just such a lawyer. Like that is such a lawyer statement. <laughs> we never reached epic crisis levels, in my view. I, I love David Stern. I, I He's wish, the we, wish we had him around still. Um. You know, Jordan seemed to believe what he was saying, but I don't know how convincing it was, all of his, his gambling uh, defenses. So we'll see what happens. Obviously, uh, I'm not going to do any spoilers if, if, if you don't know the, certain, the, the additional circumstances around this retirement, but there's more coming next week, and I would imagine yeah. we're going to get a lot of it, and I'm quite excited to hear it. That's the, this is the most important part of the documentary in my v- mind, and it was going into it too. Like, they, there's so much... Uh, there's so many things that are unclear about why he left and, you know, all of the different circumstances around it. And there are a lot of theories and conspiracy theories and all sorts of stuff like this. But, yeah, I'm curious to see if they actually Can't go. Wait. All right, we got yeah. one more minute to wrap this up, Brad. We're at 59 minutes. Let's go. Uh, I don't even think we'll need that much. Hit, hit our exit music. That's it for Backdoor Cover. Uh, we'll yeah. be back next week to break this down. And Brad and I may be back later this week to do some more backdoor cover. Check out Mind of Micah. We'll be talking Top Chef. You can get more Ooh. of me and Brad there as well. Uh, anything else, Brad? No, man. You talk so good. All right. That's until, it and that's all. Until next time. Mm, goodbye. Thanks for listening.